0: Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the horror lit podcast. My name is Kevin, and today we've got another short shock for you, something that's a little bit out of the mold, at least at first glance for us. We're going to be talking about a sci-fi story, a pretty on the nose sci-fi story, but I think it holds some horrific implications. So that's why I will uh, justify crowbarring this one in. And there's also a personal reason that we will get into at the end of the story. Now, this story is called All You Can Eat by Harvey and Audrey Bilker. And it was collected in a, an anthology called Children of Infinity, Original Science Fiction Stories for Young Readers. So not only is it science fiction, it's YA science fiction. So of course you are justified in asking me, Kevin. The hell are you thinking? What's going on here? But let's dive into the story. Let's talk about it. It's not going to be a terribly complex one. This one is, uh, like I said, it's pretty on the nose. It's very, very obviously written for kind of younger readers, which I don't mind at all. Some YA is absolutely terrible, the Hunger Games, but uh, there's a lot of it that actually has uh, some meat to it. So I do want to talk about this one, and I'll talk about kind of my personal reason for including this one uh, in the podcast when we get done with it. So let's go ahead and dive right in and talk about this story. We start off the story with uh, watching a young person, uh, nondescript features, walk down the street and come upon a restaurant that says "4.95 all you can eat. So right there, <laughs> right away, that should tell you that we are not in modern day. We are in the 1970s, which is when this book was published. But he says to himself, that will be perfect. So he goes in right when the place is opening and they, uh, seat him and say, okay, uh, we're, we're going to start serving here in just a few minutes. Are you going to have dinner? Are you gonna have the all you can eat? And the the guy says, I, I think I want the, all you can eat. He's like, okay. we'll we'll be ready in a couple minutes. And they they start setting out these platters of food on this table. And it's a little unclear. Uh, I personally have always envisioned like a Chinese restaurant, which uh, of course are some of the more obvious and some of the more popular all-you-can-eat venues around America. But it really never describes exactly what it is it just it just goes listing all this food it's almost more like a kind of a golden corral kind of situation because they have lobster tails and and omelets and just all this delicious sounding food so the waitress comes over and says, "Okay, here's the rule you know and you get a fresh plate, you take what you want, come back, you leave the dirty plate, get another one and and we'll we'll clear your plate for you, and we'll we'll keep you keep you going and the guy says, okay let's get going and he starts and boy God Almighty, does this man eat? <laughs> he goes over uh takes twenty or thirty lobster tails, goes back over to the table, and starts horking them down and in the space of about 10 minutes they're all gone and he goes back and he gets the rest of the lobster tails and he eats those and then he moves on to something else and then he he continues to eat and he continues to eat and at some point the hostess actually comes over and is a little confused it's like where is this guy putting all this food and tries to kind of hustle along the point says well are you ready for dessert and his answer to that is absolutely spectacular he says well, if I eat dessert now, can I go back to the main dishes? (laughs) And she says, "Uh, I don't believe there's a rule against that. No. And he's like, okay, then bring me dessert. And he eats three cheesecakes and he eats this and he eats that. And then goes back and, and starts eating the actual food too. And this just continues to go on and on and on. And At one point, the owner of the restaurant shows up and starts to step in, comes over and talks to the guy and says, okay, uh, is this your first time here? And he says, yeah, this 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 is it. And it's at this point that we start to realize that something is different about this guy, other than the fact that he can just seemingly eat forever because he has a conversation with somebody over mental telepathy kind of situation. And it's asking, well, how's everything going? He's like, oh, it's, it's going fine. And he's, the the other voice is like, oh, that uh, that particular food was really, really good. Send more of that. He said, okay, I'll, I'll eat more of that and send it uh, via something called kinergization. <laughs> so we've got kinetic and we've got energy and, and we're jamming those together. 1970s sci-fi, hooray. <laughs> but it's become obvious that whatever he is eating – is being transmitted molecularly across the stars to someplace else. And at this point, the story kind of drops all pretense and starts saying, not the the man, but the alien. (laughs) He is, he is definitely an alien. As I said, this story is extraordinarily on the nose. It's clearly written for, for people uh, of, of a younger persuasion who, who can't really kind of suss out things on their own. So, We go back to the conversation that he's having uh, in the here and now, in in the present place, with the owner of the restaurant. And the owner of the restaurant says, "Okay, don't you think you've had enough?" And the alien kind of calls his bluff. He says, "Well, your board says four ninety five, all you can eat. I haven't eaten all I can eat yet." The owner is like, "Well, you've got to stop sometime." And the guy's like, "No, I." don't. I, I? It's all you can eat. I haven't eaten all I can yet. There's no stipulation on this. And really, there's nothing that the owner of the restaurant can really say because there isn't. There isn't any limit to uh, what this guy can eat, what this thing can eat. Of course, he doesn't know he's a thing quite yet. And he has to field these a- other angry patrons because you know people came in and paid their $4.95 and they don't have anything to eat because this guy keeps eating everything on the table. And of course, he goes back and talks to to the chef and the chef is like, I don't get paid enough to to cook this much food. We're going through like three days of food in in the past four hours, so I I don't know ex- exactly what you expect me to do. So it's it's a bad situation here, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And finally, they get to closing time, three a.m., which. I don't know that I've ever been to an all-you-can-eat restaurant that, uh, that is open until 3 a.m. I kind of want to, but how very American of me. But finally, it's it's 3 a.m., and the owner said, okay, it's it's closing time. You have to go. And the alien says, no, I don't. There was never anything on the board that said, I have to leave at closing time. I can continue to eat. And the owner's just not having it. He's like, all right, that's it. That's, that's it. And he goes out and he gets a police officer and he brings it back. He says, make him leave. And the police officer uh, listens to the, alien story. The alien says, Hey, it said I can eat all you can eat. It doesn't say I have to leave at closing time. It just says all you can eat. And that's, I'm going to continue to eat. And (laughs) the policeman turns around and says, he's got a point. I I can't make him leave. Uh, I mean, I can, uh, we can start the legal process, but really there's nothing more we can do on this. So (laughs) over Uh, the the course of the night of course the the restaurant owner goes home and the hostess goes home and the the police officer stays there calls in for uh, another person with a shift is off and this guy continues to eat and at some point a newspaper man comes uh, along with the replacement for the police officer the covering the night beat which of course is probably a very slow beat and the newsman says okay what's 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 going on here and the aliens said, well, I'm not actually from your planet. <laughs> he spills the beans. just just drops it on everybody. I'm not actually from your planet. I'm from a planet that... Uh, we've used up all our resources. We've destroyed everything. Uh, you can't see some of the cities cause they're covered in so much pollution. So we have developed this process by which we can beam ourselves basically to other planets. We eat those resources and it goes back to feed our people. And that's what I'm doing here. And of course the newspaper man and the, the police officer kind of look at each other. And it's like, okay, so he's, he's a nut bar, but at some point the policeman says, well, <laughs> But he's been here for six hours or seven hours, and he's been eating and eating and eating. And he looks the same. He hasn't vomited everything (laughs) everywhere. Where is he putting it? Maybe there's something to this. And of course, things start to get interesting at that point. The newspaper man kind of relays this story to his paper. The TV stations pick it up, and now we've got cameras inside the restaurant. So when the owner of the restaurant comes back the next day, not only does he find that this guy is not gone, but still there and eating. He's surrounded by cameras and everything else. And he's absolutely livid. What the hell is going on? Get this guy out of my restaurant. But he gets a call from donors saying, we will, we will give you money because this is a very interesting story to get more food and and to provide him with more food so that we can cover this story. This is a good story. We want to keep this going. So, of course, he, he says, oh, yeah, well, I mean, if you're willing to pay me, absolutely. This is when it becomes a little bit more complex and a little bit more interesting because at that point, we start thinking about consumerism and the concept that if you pay me enough, I will put aside all my worries, I will put aside all my morals, and I will go along with whatever is giving me money. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point that the story makes. It almost sneaks it in there because it's not really commented on any more than that. It's just the owner says, oh, well, if you're paying me, yes, let's continue to do this. And I think it's a story that kind of works on two different levels. For the for the younger, uh, less sophisticated readers, oh, it's an interesting story about an alien who's kind of beaming food back to his planet. But for somebody with a little bit more experience and a little bit more depth of of reading, you start to see that there's some themes going on here. And I love that aspect. Clearly, this is an environmental piece because what what they have done to their planet is currently happening to ours. And we'll kind of continue that on when we get back to the story and see how it ends. But this idea of consumerism is really, really interesting. The, The idea that Well, how do you think they probably got to that point in their planet? Possibly because the people with the money paid to do whatever the hell they want, even at the cost of what it would do to their planet or what it would do to their people. So I love that little, like I said, it's sneaky. It's not really heralded. Nobody uh, sends up a firework or a flare about it. It's just really kind of calmly commented on, But I love that aspect of it because it makes this story, A, more interesting and B, scary (laughs) because there is some resonance here. And certainly we're talking about the 1970s. The EPA was created in this era. The environmentalism became a thing as these stories were being written. So there's there's some interesting stuff going on here. But let's continue on with the story itself and see how that ties into the end as well. So this continues on. This guy continues to eat. Of course, people are asking him questions about his home planet and all these things, and it, it's a little bit more of the same. How they destroyed it by using up all their resources, and now they they've sent uh, you know thousands of of their kind to all these different populated planets to uh, to get these resources and send them back. And at one point, uh, a f- telephone is brought to him, and it's the president of the United States. and And I also love this aspect that the president of the united states seems more pleased that he would come to america to do this than to any other country thank you very much for for coming to america let me be the first to welcome you uh, you know we we hope that you can share with us your your secrets for global peace so we can be a better uh, a better species and all of that and the alien says uh, no <laughs> i'm going to continue eating i'm going to be done tonight and i'm going to leave And the president's like, "Uh, uh, what? (laughs) And the alien says, look, I I can't tell you our secret of how to do this because in essence, this is a competition. Uh, There are limited resources throughout the entire universe. And if we gave you our secret of how to do this, you would be out doing the same thing because it's clear you are doing the same thing to your planet as we are doing to ours. So, we're just at a further advanced stage of where you're going to be. So, we've got the jump on you. We're going to continue doing this and leave you to fend for yourself because we don't want any sort of competition. And at that point, the alien kind of fades away and leaves, but not before this, this tiny little stinger at the end. I love it. He says, I can't pay you money because, uh, we, we, we don't really work that way. And I don't even have any money. And of course the owner of the restaurant loses his damn mind. He's like, are you telling me you can't even pay the four 95? He's like, yeah, I can't do that. But what I will do is you go ahead and look at your stock of uranium and you will see it slightly increased and he fades away and is gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and that's the end of the story. So, where's the horror? <laughs> well, I th- I think it's kind of obvious. The the concept of uh, what are we going to do when all of our resources are gone? And I also like that aspect of the competition, the, the the kind of survival of the fittest thing going on is become uh, universal, literally universal, that uh, other species are, are are going to vie for dominance as well, not necessarily in terms of war, but in terms of resource gathering. And I, I love the fact that he gave us not more money. But more of a material we can use to destroy ourselves, to basically hasten us further on our route to destroying ourselves. I think that's an interesting point that the the story chooses to do. So let's talk about where that kind of horror lies. And I'm not going to get too hippy-dippy with this, I I promise, but it's it's undeniable. It really, really is. It's not a matter of space, as it was once thought. I mean, if you read Harry Harrison's book, uh, Make Room, Make Room, which is the book that Soylent Green was actually based on, Space was absolutely the problem. You know, New York City has 300 million people living in it, and and you can't move without you know turning and 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 bumping somebody. That's that was the fear at that time, but we've since learned that that's not going to be the the major problem. I think we we've hit. I think just recently we hit 8 billion people on this planet, which sounds like an astronomical dangerous, frightening as hell number. It really, really does. But way back when, when we hit 7 billion, which was not as far back as it probably should have been, we're, we're kind of really going up. There was a wonderful National Geographic issue about that fact, about the fact that we were going to hit 7 billion people on this planet. And it said, uh, one of the most interesting things that I, I've, I've really ever seen in one of those magazines is that it's not really about space. That's not the reason to be worried. Because if you took every single human on earth, all 7 billion, or even now, even all 8 billion people, and you brought them into one space and, you know, we're not going to be crammed together. We're not, we don't even have to touch. We, we have six foot uh, radius around us. We don't even have to, to touch it. We can kind of spread our arms and move in a circle. And if we have all have that much room with breathing room with movement room all 8 billion people on this earth would take up a space about the size of the state of maryland that's it <laughs> which to me blew my mind the mushroom cloud coming out of kevin's head i was like i was flabbergasted it was like are you serious it's not space there are there's so much space on this earth but resources are a big problem. We are going to run out of resources, out of clean water, out of food, out of ways to sustain our livelihood, and especially quickly ways to sustain our overabundant livelihood. And that is the major problem here. And that's interestingly something that uh, was foreseen back in the seventies, the concept that we are going to lose to our consumption of resources. We're not going to have enough to sustain everybody. The next wars are not going to be fought over land. They're going to be fought over water. That's the really terrifying aspect here. So, that's why I really wanted to include this story because yes, it is absolutely, as I said, on the nose, pretty obviously science fiction, but a lot of science fiction has the seeds of horror sown into it. And this one is definitely terrifying in its implication of where we are headed. And this was back in 19, I think 73 was when this book was published. We're many years on and things have gotten so much worse. We have not heeded any of these warnings at all. We have specifically moved against them and things are getting dire. It's it's really, really kind of terrifying. So, to me, this reads like a horror story, and I, I really hope <laughs> that it reads like a horror story to you people too. Again, I'm I'm not a crazy recycle every single thing about myself person. I'm I'm not nutso about it, but it does keep me up at night sometimes that we're we're running through the stuff that keeps us alive pretty damn quickly. And if we don't figure some way out to be a little bit more smart about it things are going to get ugly and I think they're going to get ugly faster than we ever thought they would. So hopefully <laughs> uh, stories like this, we can maybe keep in our consciousness as little bits of warning and and ways to maybe try to goad ourselves to, to be a little bit better, to think a little bit more about what we consume and how we consume it. Again, I don't want this to turn into a PSA, but it's a horror story for a reason, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope I hope that we, we maybe start thinking about things like that a little bit more seriously. Now, I promised a personal reason for this, and this is where I get maybe a bit weepy. I don't know. I probably won't, but I, I'll feel it inside. My grandmother was an environmental warrior. At the Hale and Hardy age of her 60s, decided she was going to kind of take on uh, environmental issues. It was very, very important to her. She joined Greenpeace. She actually joined some uh, some local organizations. She started one here in the city where I live that, that stayed around for quite a long time. She worked her ass off to try to make this place a little bit better. Uh, she fought against the incinerator that was built outside of town. Uh, one of my earliest memories is, is uh, picketing a store that sold fur. Uh, that that was fun. Uh, we'd, uh, we didn't throw any blood on anybody? Let's be clear on that. But I did hold a sign. That was one of my earliest memories. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother because, uh, as I've said in earlier podcast episodes, uh, my parents worked during the day, so during the summer, usually I just went over to grandma's and, and we hung out. And and I love my grandma very very much. I was very very I'm, I am very very close to her. But I mean, there there it comes upon the. The issue. Uh, my grandmother is very ill. <laughs> she is probably not going to be with us too much longer. Twenty twenty three may be the last year that she sees it. Probably will be. So that's that's weighing heavily on my mind. It's something I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. But during one of the meetings at her house of this uh, this environmental group that she created, one of the members of of this group. He had uh, kids about my age and he knew that, uh, you know, it's not very enjoyable for a kid of seven or eight to sit around and listen to adults talk about environmental stuff. But he had this book called Children of Infinity, which is this short story collection of science fiction short stories, and he brought it and he said, You might really like these stories because I've noticed that you read a lot and uh, you know it's a little bit boring during the meeting, so if you want to read these these stories, go ahead. And I read them and a lot of them are very, very good, but this one stuck in my mind quite firmly, all you can eat. And years later, years, years, years later, I thought about that story and was like, I wonder if I can find that short story. And lo and behold, after it didn't even take very long, uh, you know, so, uh, the internet kind of sucks for a lot of things, but some things in the internet's really good for, uh, maybe like a couple of weeks, I was able to actually find and obtain a copy of this book. I'm holding it in my hand right now. It is not the exact copy, obviously, that that guy handed me all those years ago, but it looks exactly the same. And I was able to read that story. And what I remember most about it, even though grandma wasn't the person to give this story to me, it was filled with the things that she found interesting that she found important and the lessons that she tried to instill in me to care about our world and to care about the things in it and to think a little less selfishly about uh, this this planet we live on. So I've always held that very deeply in my heart about this short story and about uh, all those lessons that grandma has taught me. And this, the, the year that I will probably lose her I wanted to honor her by talking about this story because this story really encapsulates my grandmother, uh, her soul and her heart. This this says grandmother to me, <laughs> and that it has that love in it. So I wanted to share that with you. This is a little a little personal thing. Hopefully that's not uh, you know TMI sharing too much kind of thing. But uh, this is this is an important story to me. Aside from the personnel stuff, I think it's a horror story, but uh, things become deeper, become richer if they're connected with some sort of emotional impact. So the horror in the story is a little bit more richly colored to me because of the things that we talked about, my grandmother and I, about uh, the fears that we have about where our planet might be heading and things like that. So My grandmother is still with us as I talk about this. I'm going to go see her uh, probably in the next couple of days. But I want to put this out here so that it can live forever. Grandma, I love you so much. I always have. You're one of my favorite people. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I really do. Okay, sapping us over. We're done with the episode. So next week, it is time to get a little bit old school. We are going back all the way to the 1500s. We are going to talk about our first, and yes, there will be more, but the first Shakespeare play that we are going to talk about is Titus Andronicus Tarantino by way of William Shakespeare. (laughs) That will make more sense if you read it. And I hope you do, Uh, but it'll certainly make more sense next week when we talk about uh, Titus Andronicus. One of my favorite plays by Shakespeare, not my favorite, you know, my favorite, everybody knows my favorite, but certainly one of my favorites in my top three. Absolutely. So we'll talk about that next week. Thanks, of course, to Slaughterhouse, formerly uh, named Swarm, uh, for the use of his music for this podcast. You can find him on Bandcamp, Slaughterhouse with a 5 instead of an S. And uh, pretty soon, I don't know if it'll happen by the time you hear this, it may have, the music that he gave me for use on this podcast will actually be up on his Bandcamp page. So if you want to hear uh, the full songs of those, uh, head over to Bandcamp, look up Slaughterhouse with a 5 instead of an S and check out some of his music. He's very, very good. You can find this podcast at gildedinblood.com. And until next time, stay safe and stay spooked.